Oh, uh, she's back. I'm back. I do not know what that was. <laughs> well, you you missed my you mi- you missed my little quip about uh, making sure that all internet providers become public utilities, so we don't have to deal with this nonsense. Comrades and friends, uh, hello from the Highlands Bunker Studio. We're in the shadow of Rockford Tower amongst the Delaware Way elites, who I can report are growing increasingly anxious. Uh, Super producer Carl is uh, on the levels remotely, and beaming in today is the Democratic candidate for Delaware House of Representatives District 8, Sherea Moore. Hi, Ray. How are you? Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you so much for coming in. I appreciate you taking the time. I'm excited to be here. So before we get into the politics and campaigning and General Assembly and all of that, um, I always like to start at the beginning. So um, where did you grow up? What was it like? So um, I originally was born in Philadelphia. Um, That's where my parents are natives of. Um, When I was 10 years old, we moved to Delaware um, because my parents just wanted um, a better opportunity for my brother and I. Um, to grow up on. Around time I was a June, a sophomore in high school, I moved down here to Middletown, attended Middletown High School, and it was very crowded at the time, um, but we had a great experience there, and I graduated from Middletown High School. I'm a proud alumni of Delaware State University, where I received my bachelor's degree, so shout out to Hornet. <laughs> I love that you, you I, I think I, it it didn't occur to me that when you and I spoke and then I know you listened to the, uh, we talked about the Marie Pinckney episode and I did the same thing. And right on my notes, I just said, I said, go state. We see you. We see it. I never. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, Yeah. I'm interested in Middletown um, and the ex-bourbon sort of growth because I remember when I was a, I think I'm pretty sure I was going into my senior year at University of Delaware, which is like the summer of 95. And I was doing a research project through the school in public administration uh, for like the, 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 the lawyer who also worked as the city solicitor of Delaware City. And I just needed to do all this kind of research on city charters. And this was like pre-internet. So um, like there was just a lot of work like on paper. So I had to go to the Middletown town hall to look up something in their town hall and it was like you know it was like delaware city very pretty rural i mean it was just like you know not much population not much you know there wasn't any real development at all and that was like 95 um and i just was there a year and a half ago maybe two years ago um we went and protested after the parade that they that they throw down there i went with carrie and a few people and i'm like wow this is this is a real scene down here now so you experienced that sort of firsthand um but it was it it was already crowded when you got there or did you get there like in the middle of a huge boom i think it was the beginning of the boom um we didn't have walmart at the time yet walmart didn't come until about i was um, a freshman in college. Um, we only had one Wawa at the time, and it wasn't as much as um, little franchises here in the 
um, in the city, well, here in Middletown. Um, but it, that was the beginning of the rapid growth here. And by the time I was a senior in high school, I think as maybe here in Middletown understood that growth was coming and was coming at a rapid pace. So they were building Apple Quitament High School. And I remember like our, our senior class were like, well, we want this, everything that we heard that Apple Quitament High School was um, like the technology wing. We didn't have necessarily a technology wing at high school um, at Middletown when I when we were there. And we're like, we want that. Why can't we get that? You know, so the town has always been on board with, you know, trying to accommodate the rapid growth here. Um, as like, I know that Odessa High School uh, was just, um, you know, completed. And so now we have three high schools in the area versus just the one that was here for many years. Um, we have, you know, instead of just being a three school um, school district, we have tons of schools, middle schools, um, multiple. So I believe that, you know, they saw that it early on the growth was coming. I just would like it to see like, the infrastructure to catch up with the population. I know that's just one concern that I'm getting across the board when I talk to constituents, because it literally could take you about 20 minutes to go from one end of Main Street to the next end of Main Street. Um, and the traffic is just, it could be horrendous sometimes, but it comes with, you know, one of those things with rapid growth. Yeah. So uh, on, on the growth, I guess that's, that's a tricky thing. Um, I mean, is there, I'm interested in like just the, the demographics of, of the folks, uh, if there is any, I don't want to say tension, but you know, it used to be a, a more rural area and now it's, you know, full suburb congestion in a very short period of time. I mean, does that create any other rifts between folks who have been there a long time, folks who haven't been there a long time? Is that a thing? Yes. I've actually talked to people who they did they moved to Middletown specifically because it was so rural and everybody didn't live on top of each other. They had an option to have like acres of land um, with their newly built home versus now just having like a quarter lot um, with a small backyard or no backyard options at this point. Um, then I've had, I've talked to people who love not having a backyard. I myself was going like, you know, couldn't enjoy not cutting grass anymore, you know, in the backyard, in the backyard space. But um, one of the things I wanted to highlight is that due to the rapid growth, like, what about our, you know, the the free spaces, our, land, our green spaces, and protecting the environment. So we can, you know, have rapid growth, and we can operate to accommodate, you know, the booming population, but we also can be responsible, act responsibly when it comes to protecting our environment. And that's why I felt like it was necessary to include that in the platform here. Yeah, I just uh, was reading some information on the wildfires in California. You know, they're huge, they're getting worse, they're just, you know, all, and, and really, <laughs> There's a there's a bunch of different factors, but one of the big ones is um, exurb development uh, in places that are are already sort of prone to that kind of fire. And when I read that, I thought, oh, I'm going to be speaking to you about Middletown, and that's there's probably the same, obviously not fire, but there's you know huge environmental issues with just packing people in a place and then trying to get all the infrastructure to catch up. 
So it's like you can you can sort of make an infrastructure point, but what what kind of what kind of damage is that going to do when we're trying to sort of go the other way with the Green New Deal and be more uh, cognizant of sort of where we are um, on the Earth, being you know low level and 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 all of that. So yeah, I wonder how did you integrate it, and what are some of the things that um, you needed to balance, or some of the things you're being um, told, you know, when, when you're reaching out to, to folks there about uh, environmental issues? I would say our, the constituents here in Middletown, they get it. They, a lot of them know that the science is real when it comes to global warming and climate change. And one way I've been um, also putting it out there is, you know, we just had a tornado, you know, a couple of months ago, and people are still feeling the effects from that. And if we don't do something, those tornadoes are going to become more frequent here. Um, and I think it's about, you know, being a buy-in from the constituents, um, working with, you know, stakeholders, policy stakeholders, and say, like, we can no longer ignore and keep pushing back the time that we're going to, you know, reach our quota of how green our state is. We can no longer push that back. We have, like, we need to do something now. Um, I, I say, I will say since embarking on this journey of campaigning and running for office, I spend a lot of time, um, reading up on environmental issues, like environmental justice. I know, and it's just not here in Middletown, it's across the state. You know, you have people who, um, you have communities that are being infected, uh, impacted by the waste industry and they want to increase how far um, to the surface they can pack in the waste in certain um, areas. You have down in Sussex County who have, you know, the sewage issues. So it's just not here. It's just not in one place. It's across the state of Delaware. And we need more champions for, you know, environmental protections. And if it means that I need to crack out a book or read dissertations as I've been doing, and having organizations like the Sierra Club to challenge, you know, is just not about the surf scratching the surface, but is a deeper conversation needed in policy and just, you know, about just simple responsibility of what we can do to reduce our carbon footprint and to make the state become more green. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I hope that the I hope that the folks in your district who sort of um Ex, not only accept the science, but understand sort of like at a basic level what the impacts are, especially for for Delaware. Are I hope they're, I hope they're not. The, I hope they're the, the same people who have to sit in traffic, like and and not have to worry. Oh, like, they are. Like so, I I hope that there is some sort of um, understanding that uh, some kind of we need to reach some sort of agreement because we can't do one and or the other. We have to sort of figure it out how to do it. Um, together, but some but some compromises are going to need to be made. Um, so that's the that is always the tricky part. I agree, but I think that when we talk about the compromise part, I believe that the the resident citizens are ready to do their part because they're getting it. And now it's just talking to our government partners, you know, our government agencies like the county and the town, and making sure that you know. 
states, counties, towns, the lo all local government entities are on the same page about moving forward and what our responsi responsibility is to protecting our environment. If that takes a conversation or a round table or all day workshop to say, okay, this is where we are and this is where we need to be in order to ramp up efforts, let's do it. I'm so everybody wants Obviously, you know, if you look at the way the elections have gone, people want, right? Um, I say I, my slogan is more for the future because we deserve more. I, I did want to sort of um, elaborate on one of the points you made about just meeting with people, getting the information out. And I, I've, I had a couple conversations um, recently. One was with um, Dustin from the Sierra Club talking talking about some of the growth issues that are impacting Sussex. Um, this is very similar things. Um, and also uh, with Carrie Harris about just Kent and Sussex organizing and keeping people in in the game. You know, we, ha we have bigger populations that are moving there. So that's going to jack up the populations in the state. And we have to organize sort of everywhere because I know I've, I'm guilty of like a northern Newcastle County bias sometimes. <laughs> so I, I always want to try to uh keep myself together and understand especially with the environment stuff but but also workers rights and and civil rights and everything uh you know we have three counties and we have to organize in all three yeah so you 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 did do legislative aid work uh i'm not I, i'm interested in your reflections on it or just sort of what you took away from it um, before moving into education, which I'm very excited to talk about that probably more, but but I definitely want to for for someone to go from that in, then into education and say, you know what, I'm going to go back in there. I, I'm going to interrogate that a little bit. Okay, no problem. Um, I enjoyed my my time uh, working as a legislative aide um, prior to um, working in the House. I had held a master's degree in public policy and administration. For almost two years at that point and I was just ready to you know sometimes you know and a lot of millennials and, and Gen Z's feel this way we're getting these degrees you know we're being told that this is what we need and a lot of us aren't working in in those fields so it's like once you get an opportunity to work in those fields you're going to grasp at it and hold on as tight as you can and I felt like for in my particular story of for my life, I just grabbed on and I had to absorb everything that, you know, I could. Um, I learned so much from working down at the house. Um, and I, my, my reps, I know people, it's so funny. Everyone thinks I only work for one rep, but I really had two um, the, um, while being there. So um, of course, everyone knows that I was the go-to for Representative Stephanie T. Bolden in Wilmington um, and um, Representative Michael Marooney out of Newcastle, I, my first time there. Then when I went back a few months ago, um, I had Representative Bolden again and uh, Representative Viola. Um, so I, I dibbled, I was able to um, try to find my, my niche. I wasn't, you know, just so focused on one area, I really wanted to see what area was I really passionate about. And it's like so many policy choices and having a policy background, you get to touch each one. But then now I was able to go into a little more um, depth in each policy area and having two reps, you know, who 
serve two different populations, I was able to really get a broader, broader um, aspect um, of, you know, policy in certain areas. But the one that actually stuck the most was education. Um, and this will segue into how I end up as a teacher is I was looking at the data of um, school suspensions um, before I chose to um, leave the house to go run a statewide campaign that year in 2018. And the, like, it, I had so many questions. Like, why does the data look like this? How is it possible that you have higher, like, uh, the suspension rates is higher than the enrollment? Like, how? What is going on? I, you know, uh, me and a colleague of mine, we were just bouncing off, like, what can we do to support them? What can we, how can we advocate? You know, how can we move the legislature? What can we do, um, ideally? Um, so I had to actually put a pin in that conversation. I went to run the statewide campaign. And when I was on that campaign journey, the ones that we talked to, we was talking to returning citizens. And all of them said the same thing. And it was just very common, very parallel, that they wouldn't have recidivated had they had someone, maybe even a teacher, to pull them aside and take them under their wing. So my thinking of policy and, you know, we all are here to be change agents and to make the world a better place. Exactly how can we do that? Is it, at the time I was thinking, is it policy? How can I, you know, make lasting change, you know, in the world? And I'm like, okay, policy will change depending on what, in, what administration comes and goes. Um, then I was like, you know, after talking, um, running that campaign and talking to like returning citizens and they were saying like, I needed a teacher, I needed a mentor. I was like, you know, I have my bachelor's degree is in English literature. I tried my hand at teaching before, but then I got um, focused in doing nonprofit operational work uh, where, again, that's another focus of behind the scenes back policy um, work for um, institution. But then I was like, well, you know, I, I end up having an opportunity to interview for a teaching position and I got it. And I was doing alternative routes to um, teaching certification program while I, I'll, for the last two years or while I was at Bayard. Um, so it's, it, to me, it was about reaching the next generation. Try, if we want better for the future, we have to start with um, the children because the children eventually will grow up. So exactly how do you pour into them? How, if we want ch things to change, we have to start talking to the next, um, the next group because one day they're going to grow up and they're going to be there. It, we have to be able to pass the baton to those, um, you know, who's coming up. I, that makes me so happy to hear that because I, you know, I certainly, <clears throat> you know, I certainly understand policy uh, or, or, or I should say <clears throat> uh, the folks who sort of get in the weeds on policy and the necessity of, you know, applying political pressure to make some changes at a policy level. We have to do everything at the same time. But I always, uh, I'm always very um, suspicious or I'm cautious to see whether policy, I hate the word wonks, but I'll just say wonk, policy wonks, whether they sort of approach every um, political question as a math problem, like 
if we set these levels and turn this knob and we allow, you know, this kind of thing, like, so, and, and, and there's a huge aspect that's not a math problem that you said, as you said, you know, you were able to see a lot of it because you worked for representatives from two disparate districts, had different constituencies, but then you're obviously going to be able to see it, you know, working in a, in a middle school for sure and working in the education system for sure with parents, with students and administrators that are doing that. Um, that's like to bring the two things together. Um, so you don't just look at it like you're punching numbers into a calculator. Do you know what I mean? It's not. So to me, it's not rocket science. Like into your point of thinking everything is a math equation. Look, the math teachers I've worked for the last two, I worked with for the last two years will tell you more is not the one to go to for math. <laughs> and I will I'm let them know you, you don't have me sitting. I like I'll learn how to do this math. But, you know, to me, some things are just simple. It needs to be fixed. Why aren't we doing something? We need to do something now. I don't want to wait till tomorrow. I don't want to wait till next week. You know, we're all operating in these spaces and it doesn't take decades, you know, and I guess that's when we talk about, you know, um, some people having um, those individuals with the lack of political will or it's just, I don't think it's rocket science. I don't think it's math equation. Um, so, like, once I see a problem and I feel like I can think of a solution, that is me. It's always been me, and I'm not going to apologize. Um, and if I, if I had the resources to give them a solution, I'm going to do it. So I tell everyone to, you know, call me. Um, if I don't know the answer, I will find you the answer, and I will get back to you. Though I put a finer point on it, and I think what you're trying to say, and I'm interested to see if you have a comment on this sort of the general point, is you can play around with the way that you do something, but there are systemic things that are happening that need to be intervened uh, beyond, like, you know, a novel way to means test healthcare or uh, a novel way to figure out how much funding goes to which school. There are systemic things which you've seen that are going to need to be addressed. Uh, we're going to have to change our way of thinking about them. Like we're going to have to get outside of the little machine that we play with and start thinking about actual, actually intervening in these social and economic and educational and political issues outside of... We had to, you said, I think, political will... I've used that a lot. It's just like an having the imagination to say, "Oh, actually, we can we can try something new," and that actually solves the problem. Um, and there's a constituency for it. Um, we just have to keep that constituency organized and mobilized and ready to go ahead and do it. Uh, I agree. I think it also stems from some people really can't wrap their minds around the true issues in what those solutions may be because they haven't operated in those certain spaces. Um, you know, so when you come, when administration comes, well, when higher administration comes to, you know, observe a classroom more times they, you know, it's for a short period of time. So they only get in like five minutes of a 60 minute class or five minutes of, you know, just a part of the day. 
How about we we spend a week in a, in a school and you actually see the flow from beginning to end of how things go? It it will change your perspective on a situation, and it's not just for schools. That, that goes for the healthcare system. That goes for you know working with the environment, working with you know any for mental health. You know, so it's like I have an idea. I think this is how it goes. How about we stop thinking and we actually go and be boots in the ground. Me being a teacher was because I already had that policy background and I knew where the policy was going. Me being a teacher was being boots on the ground and immersing myself in the situation so I could find a solution how to move forward for teachers, for administration, you know, for the school districts, literally for the future. We always talk about we need education reform. How are you going to know what to reform if you're not from that background, right? You haven't been a you you haven't really immersed yourself being in the classroom, filling the grunt of the work with the teachers and the students. So and it's like for my students, I took the test, like anything that I gave I have give was giving them to learn, I did it first. You know, so they can't say, well, Miss Moore, you're not doing this. Oh, but I did. You know, I am not going to give you something that I wouldn't partake of myself. You know, so again, that's me trying to put my mind in a student's um, position. We don't, everybody doesn't do it that way. Um, I, just, I just think that, you know, I'm a whole put yourself in someone else's shoes pers um, perspective person. And I just think, you know, in order to move policy forward, we have to do that. Some way, somehow. Um, and stop thinking, I think it should no longer be about I think. I know that this is happening. I know that this is the solution. And I know now is the time to make way or provide getting us the solution. All means necessary. I love the, all of that. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the instinct or whether it's, I mean, and it's obviously something you can develop because I didn't, I didn't have it and I have it a little more of it, but it didn't come naturally to me. It's just what you said. Like, everybody's got to do it together. Like, I have to look at, uh, I'm doing what you're doing. So I have, you know, and I'm, you're reaching, you know, you're reaching out to sort of build a consensus. It's not, um, you have to look at people's constituencies and what their first move is. And I've tried to get better at that, but I think that's, you know, the most important thing. And then you are able to together, um, really think outside the box and say, yes, this needs to change now. There's no tweaking it. There's no, you know, making deals with your friends to try to keep it together. It's not working. It's hurting too many people. Uh, we're going to build a movement. We're going to stop it. I Comple agree. And I completely agree. Like that, um, let's bring everybody to the table. Let's bring all, like, we need, we just need to have an open dialogue about, you know, how is, like, whatever the policy issue is, how is that impacting your district? Well, how, in the only way we could come with some, you know, um, forward-thinking legislation is by having those conversations. I'm willing to be that person, you know. It's not just, it's not about me. It's about everybody. It's, it's even, a, it's like, I mean, I guess essentially it is about me because I am a, a citizen of the state, you know, but it's about everybody, you know, through across the state, people are like, people are hurting, especially amid COVID-19. We have to do something. We have to be proactive. Yeah. How is that? Uh, it's funny. My next question was just going to be, you know, how campaigning was um, obviously COVID 
put a real, you know, changed, uh, you know, what everybody could do for, for a long period. Well, it still really sort of changes what you can do. Actually, you're not here in the studio. You're talking to me through the machine. So, yeah, it's still impacting. But um, with that, but beyond that, how did you find just campaigning and, and the grind of, of getting out there every day and, and doing it? As a campaigner, it was really different. You know, I prefer can a lot of people prefer making calls over canvassing, but I prefer being out there canvassing, knocking on doors and having face to face conversations with people. And it intensified, you know, being a teacher, that personal, you know, connection face to face is, you know, is no other. Um, but we had to be, you know, think outside the box. I still need to talk to these voters. I still need to get these people to um, like get the voters to know my name, know who I am and what my platform is. How best working with technology and remaining safely, you know, for me and the voters. I still end up knocking doors. Um, I just make sure that I stood all the way back, put the, you know, put literature where I needed to put it sanitize the lid like it was some extra steps in there you know sanitizing the lid before i actually put it out making sure i had gloves on making sure i had a mask on you know um and honestly my campaigning efforts was no different than what everybody else were doing you know it's just you know you put one foot in front of the other and hope it works out and i guess it's my favorite <laughs> it's, it's looking it's looking pretty pretty great yes um I mean, you had to go because you you did have two challengers. Is that right? They tried to do the old. They tried to do the old double on you. That's what they did. You know, they tried to. We talked. I talked to Kobe about that uh, over the weekend. That move. <laughs> um, so, we're, there's going to be a big push for the general election. Uh, we we talked to Dustin. We know what Delaware United's doing. We know everybody's still out there. Um, but let's just. Let's just uh, imagine, since we talked about like having you know a great imagination before, we'll just try to imagine um, the next legislative session. Now, now to me, my, the way I imagine it, and I'm copywriting this right now, so Carl, make a note of this. The Delaware squad is Medina, Marie, Larry, and Eric. That's the Delaware squad. No, nobody else. If you want to use that, if anybody else, WDEO or the newspaper wants to use that, you can. You just have to refer to the Highlands Bunker podcast and myself personally. Thank you. Um, but there's uh, so many uh, other. There's so many great uh, folks who are part of the vanguard of um, sort of looking at change the way you describe it. Um, I, I think. I'm still, uh, I haven't spoke to her yet for the podcast, um, but Kyle Evans Gay and, and, and Sarah McBride and, and some other folks who um, are, are in their positions now. But what is your take on this dynamic? Where, where would you feel, do you reject a premise? Um, I'll give you that option if you want to. Um, or do you feel like um, that there is going to be a vanguard and there are going to be people making the arguments like you're making them? And that's going to be the uh, sort of the new, the new dynamic within the General Assembly. I think from the conversations I've been having um, with um, certain individuals, everybody's on board. Like we didn't hide what our firm was. 
And I've already had established relationships with the legislators um, down in Dover already. So they already know how I operate and how I think. Um, I worked closely with the Legislative Black Caucus. You know, to me, I believe that, you know, with us coming in, we're able to, you know, get hit the ground running, you know, and I believe that they're ready. At least they're, you know, I haven't received any opposition from anyone that I've spoke to about getting legislation done. That's from legislators and, you know, government entities as well. You know, I'm so I'm going to remain. Um, normally, I'm not optimistic. <laughs> I'm very, could be pessimistic, but this is one time I can really say for sure, I'm very optimistic in, you know, the, being a part of the next General Assembly um, session group and get, hitting the ground running. Because like I said, and it, I have no choice because I told my constituency that I was, you know, um, we need it. The time is down. That's all I have to say. <laughs> like, yeah, now is the time. No, I think that there there certainly is that feeling because of, of what you said, because of the sort of the the just the list uh, of folks that I that I mentioned before in a very short period of time, I think that the trend is accelerating towards this kind of change. And given that, I don't even think it's provocative to say that you know the current leadership maybe doesn't represent the the, the whole Democratic caucus. Um, I, I, that's I mean, it, I don't know if you have a feeling about that. You kind of jumped at it. So, uh, do you have a feeling about that? That you want to share with us? I don't. I mean, okay. at the end of the day, we're going to end up voting the way we see fit. Um, you know how best to serve the state of Delaware in our constituency, and who best serves is leaders and leadership. You know, getting down there. I haven't really given a deep dive into leadership. I'm just focused on beating my Republican opponent. Um, November. So, I mean, it's in the back of my mind, but I sh I hush all that, you know, fuss up and just try to remain focused because I still have a huge hurdle to cross come November. Um, so once after November's finished, then I'll pick it up and I, I'll have to make a decision then. Yeah, I, that's fair, I think. I will note that uh, you do have uh, a general election in November. You have to focus on that. It's your primary focus. Um, but I, uh, when, when I did mention that it seems, based on what we talked about, that the leadership doesn't represent the caucus, I mean, you didn't. we'll say you didn't disagree with my premise. That's how we'll run with it. <laughs> yep, Eric. And uh, oh, I believe me, everybody. The, most of the most of the time, I try to be provocative. Somebody said, "Well, you well, you said that. I didn't say that. That's perfectly fine." So, let, one last um, sort of imagine, just kind of all. It's been asked of other people, and sometimes I've heard people really answer this well. One time, Jerry Jeremy Corbyn was asked this question, um, and he gave a really cool answer. So, I'll ask you: um, if there was one thing. One big change that either is sort of sitting around or even maybe not even sitting around, but you say, I could I could make this impact on this one thing. What would it be? Increasing teacher salary. I like it. I like it. 
Shout out to all my teachers as yesterday was National Teachers Day. Nice. Yeah, shout out to, uh, to everybody. It's funny because uh, when we were talking about math earlier, I have little support now, you know, conversations at school reopening. Yeah, I have I have a bunch of friends who are teachers, um, a couple of them math, and it made me feel bad that we were trash in math earlier. So sorry, Will and Kirk. Um, help us. Help me learn the new math, please. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, what's what's the uh, I know that is a big hot topic um, about what we're going to do to reopen schools. I know my friend Kirk, uh, who who uh, is teaching math, is is doing uh, everything online, but in his room. So he set up his room as like a hermetically sealed, uh, thing. And he has like a, a stick so he can like move around and he sort of set it up where he's still teaching within the classroom doing it. Um, and so everybody's like sort of doing different stuff, but it, it's, it seems extremely difficult. Um, but on the other hand, uh, we're also looking at a, at a, at a sort of a, an increase in hospitalizations right about the time that, Right about the time when everybody said we were going to have a second wave for getting increased in hospitalizations, that's not great. Um, so yeah, I mean, what's the feeling uh, amongst the the, the teachers uh, and the union and and the folks across the state about how we're going to proceed through the fall based on where we are with the COVID? I mean, like we're teachers, we get it. We know that our students need to be back in brick and mortar. We know that we need to be able to engage with them face to face, right? However, we want to remain safe. A lot of us have families we have to return to, you know, and you, technically parents and students don't have to tell us that they test positive because there's a HIPAA, you know, you got HIPAA laws. Um, but at the, end of the, at the end of the day, we just want to make sure that everyone remains safe, whatever the plan is. Everybody wants to go home and be with their family and not have to worry about, well, am I going to get sick today? Is my test going to be positive today? Is today the day? Teachers already have a lot on them. Students already have a lot of them. Parents already have a lot on them. So, I mean, let me just say, you know, I'll take the cop out right now. I'm not the powers that may be that have to make this um, life-altering decisions about going back into the schools and what that looks like. But I want to be able to provide support and whatever that looks like, we all just want to be safe. Like, I know some people, like, you know, we have to look at it from uh, another perspective too. Teaching, it's hard to get teachers into buildings already, you know, just on a regular basis. The teaching, you know, field is becoming, like, exhausted. And not a lot of people going into education because of the challenges we already face. Now we're adding COVID on top of that. So if whatever is decided, it just needs to be a communication between, you know, all levels involved in the decision-making process to those who's going to impact the most. Yeah. I'm, I'm, this is one where I'm, I'm a known um, critic of the governor on almost all matters, uh, but I don't. Uh, I don't. Uh, this one's a very, very tricky one. So I, I I've been staying fairly, uh, fairly out of this one. Um, the only thing I think I've said, I've heard this idea about, you know, just figuring out some sort of age cutoff, and it, it's horrible. You know, I, no one should have to do this, but you know, middle schoolers and high schoolers are probably most, can most easily do this for a few hours a day and get something out of it where younger kids just can't. 
Um, so, I mean, the high schools should just start absorbing small, very, very small size, you know, elementary school classes of three or four or five, you know, either in the gym or in the other classrooms and, and, and try to figure out how to staff it that way. Um, but other than that, I mean, it's not, not a good situation. It's not. And whatever decision is made, you're always going to have people who don't agree with it. You know, we just had a protest um, with the parents group here who is demanding schools be open. But, you know, are you doing your part to make sure we can safely open schools? Like, are we wearing our masks? Are we remaining six feet apart? There's some schools that, you know, who literally couldn't, uh, you know, abide by the six feet rule. You know, I've had a class of 30, you know, and only had so many, like, it's only so many much space that you actually have inside of a classroom. So are classroom spaces conducive to this six feet rule? These are like, again, these are things that, you know, questions that come in mind just from a teacher's perspective. And this is not to downplay how important that face-to-face time is because as an educator, trust me, I've seen what the lack of face-to-face time actually is. We know what the summer data looks like, you know, between the that that summer um, the, when students have summers off versus when they come back to school versus when they left school and what, what that data looks like. So, you know, and everybody, and also everybody don't have the technology to do virtual. So again, what does that look like for administration? What does that look like for a teacher? So I'm going to just be confident that, you know, the elected school board members are doing are asking these questions as they coming up with a plan. It is not easy at all on any levels. Um, this is definitely different. Yeah, but you bring up we, a great. Yeah, you you bring up a great point too. As we sort of have had a few little internet struggles over this conversation, you know, I've seen pictures of like you know, there's a high school student and a middle school student and an elementary school student, you know, at a kitchen table, and they maybe even at least have Wi-Fi, good Wi-Fi. Other people don't even have that, um, and it's yeah. I mean, it it just once again, it's just another example of the exposure of. Uh, of vulnerable people, of poor people, of working class people, because that's the other thing, you know, but, you know, if you're lucky enough to have, you know, two parents supporting you in the house or two adults, they're probably both working. Um, And so and so then what do you do? Uh, You know, so the whole the whole thing obviously needs to be solved quickly, but I hope that people um, sort of think a little bit deeper about what put us in this situation. Why are we in this situation like this? Uh, because there are, you know, there are grander things that um, that we could think about and do to not put ourselves in emergencies like this. Um, but yeah, this is a particularly you tough know one. making sure that we're learning from this. You know, lessons learned from this pandemic. God forbid another one happens. You know, are we going this? I mean, I think nationally, this pandemic has showed us we're not right. Like we're not as prepared as we thought we were. You know, so how do we do with this and continue to be ready for anything else that happens like a pandemic wise, you know? Um, so it is working both both ways. Um, and I think that's where, you know, having a united General Assembly comes in and making sure they're working with the governor and government agencies to make sure 
we're working on front and back ends. Like right now, we're we have to step up to the plate because there are people depending on us. Like you said, my friend posted a picture of um, a couple of kids sitting in Panera Bread, you know, um, using their Wi-Fi because they didn't have any. You know, what about the parent that has to work three jobs to support, you know, their family? They're not home and they have younger students, you know, and some of them really just can't like they don't know. So what options are them? So, again, it's not easy. It's not easy for the parents. It's not easy for, you know, the government officials. Um, but we have to figure something out. And this is where, you know. Either this can make us or this can break us. And I feel like it shouldn't break us. This is the time where we really have to be deeply rooted and connected to our constituencies to really figure out how do we best move forward? What are it? Do you have ideas that we can consider? So it means that we have different options available. What does that look like? You know, so it's, it's, I know I've been in some of these conversations, so it's it's tough. This is a tough one. Yeah. Well, I I am um, excited. I won't say optimistic, but I'm excited that um, for this next session. Uh, I know six months is a short period of time, uh, but everybody, um, but at least I feel like now there are people that are going in with the mindset to really go to work. Um, rather than sort of uh, play a more defensive game, we'll say. Um, so that is that is that means that at least locally things are looking up. Uh, so I feel really good about that. Uh, if anybody wants to get more information about Ray's uh, campaign, we're going to link to a bunch of stuff in the show notes. You can go back just a week ago. Uh, we did a double episode with Carrie and Dustin Thompson. Dustin Thompson gave a lot of information about. Uh, Delaware United and what they're doing for Ray and the other uh, candidates who are run, who are being challenged in the general election. So we don't leave that thread off because, um, you know, as we talked about, we have a lot of things we need to do. Uh, and, you know, we can't let any we can't let anybody go. We Everybody's got to stay together, stay, stay as a team, have solidarity, and we can actually start to address in a, in a, in a better way um, the, the, the state's operations for the betterment of the most people. That's it. That's just how it is. I agree. Well, Ray, I, I would really want you. Uh, th thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate that. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. You're very welcome. Well, everybody knows where to go. Patreon.com slash the Highlands Bunker. DelawareCall.com. You know how to get all of our stuff. Uh, we, will, uh, we will talk to you soon, friends. And we will have more enthralling conversations. Just wait until this General Assembly starts. Just wait. I think Carl and I might actually go down on opening day and like post up down there somewhere. I think that would be fun. What do you think? I think that's something Carl might. I could talk him into doing. Court pulling people in and and doing like a little remote. Are we going to be able to do that with COVID though? Probably not. Oh, that's right. I forgot. Carl can't talk because they're doing uh road construction right out his window. Yeah, <laughs> I just forgot. Sorry, buddy. All right. Well, uh, everybody can jump off then. I really appreciate it. Thanks once again. Uh, good luck. And I I have a sneaking suspicion we're going to be talking to each other um, many times going forward. So thank you very much. Thank you. Yep. Left is best, everybody. Bye.